Hello again, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Kid Kong's Rewind Review here at Kid Kong at the Movies. I am once again your host, the one and only Kid Kong. Been a hot minute since we've been here for one of these, so it's uh, kind of important to note that this time around, I'm not talking about one movie or a television series. I'm talking about a series of movies. This is a series of movies that has some pretty strong reactions from fans, as well as haters. I'm going to approach this as someone who was a fan, but as the years have gone by, the older I have gotten, the more I have recognized the problems with these films. Uh, last week, we had Caleb join me for the Jim Carrey Actor Showcase, which was a lot of fun. The next time he's going to be joining me will probably be around the fourth or fifth actor showcase where he and I will be discussing Chris Farley, who is one of our favorite comedic actors as well. You're going to notice a little bit of a pattern between the actors that I discuss with certain guests. Uh, but this time around, we're going with the Rewind Review, and we're going to be talking about the Sam Raimi Spider-Man Trilogy. Oh, Lord, give me the strength for this one. All right, so the first Spider-Man movie. Now, okay, what I'm going to do for this is I'm going to give you just a real quick bare-bones rundown of these three movies as far as when they were released, what their budget was, what the box office was, the actors that played which parts in the movie, as well as maybe a little bit of a critical review. Nothing too serious. Once I get done with all three of the movies, then I'm going to start discussing my issues with the movies and the things I liked about the movies. So let's begin with the first Spider-Man, which was released May 3rd of 2002. It's made on a budget of $139 million, and it pulled in over $825 million at the box office. Now, of course, this movie being the first in the trilogy, it set the majority of the recurring cast throughout the films. Of course, Tobey Maguire played Peter Parker, or Spider-Man. Now, Tobey Maguire, at this point, had been in you know Pleasantville. He was... I think this and Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas were the only things that I actually recognized him in prior to Spider-Man. Uh, since that time, he's also been in Seabiscuit. He was in The Great Gatsby. The, he was also in the movie Brothers. Now, the director for the Sam Raimi trilogy, obviously, is Sam Raimi. Now, Sam Raimi's known for things like Evil Dead, uh, Dark Man. He directed Oz the Great and Powerful. He's, he's done a lot... Of individual stuff. He produced quite a few of the episodes of Hercules and Xena and is also going to be coming back to Marvel with Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. So, sorry for that little detour. Uh, Kirsten Dunst played Mary Jane Watson. Now, Kirsten Dunst at this point had been in quite a few movies, uh, most notably Interview with a Vampire, Little Women, and Jumanji, as well as being in Drop Dead Gorgeous. And then she's also been in Bring It On, Crazy Beautiful, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. And one of the biggest tease movies I've ever seen in my life, Marie Antoinette. All I wanted to see was that woman get her head cut off, and they couldn't even give us that. There's, there's a lot more to say about that movie, both from an artistic standpoint and from just a casual movie standpoint. And eventually, one day, I might get to it. Uh, James Franco played Harry Osborne. Harry Osborne being Peter Parker's best friend in this. Uh, James Franco has been in Pineapple Express, Eat, Pray, Love, The Disaster Artist, Milk, Rise of the Planet of the Apes, which is one that trilogy of those Planet of the Apes is my one of my favorite 
trilogies of movies, period. It came very, very close to unseating several other trilogies that I have held dear for years. Because it's one of the rare trilogies where the third movie didn't suck. You'll notice a pattern here. He also was in 127 Hours, and on television, he's been in Freaks and Geeks, but he also had a recurring role in General Hospital. Ant-Man and Uncle Ben were played by Rosemary Harris and Cliff Robertson. Those two had very, very long careers. Uh, Cliff Robertson died some time ago while Rosemary Harris is still alive. The vast majority of their roles were movies in the 60s, 70s, and 80s, and just bit parts here and there. Uh, J. Jonah Jameson was played by the great J.K. Simmons, who has returned in the MCU Spider-Man trilogy, which I'm very thrilled with. J.K. Simmons, of course, has been in Whiplash uh, and in Juno. He was Commissioner Gordon in the Justice League live-action movie, as well as being on television. He's been in Oz, and he was also he also voices Omni-Man in the Amazon series for Invincible. Norman Osborn, the Green Goblin, is played by Willem Dafoe. Willem Dafoe has been in Platoon, Shadow of the Vampire, The Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou, and most recently The Lighthouse, but he too shall be returning for Spider-Man No Way Home. Now, in addition to all that, there were some actors who had very short roles. Uh, Joe Manganiello played Flash Thompson. Uh, Macho Man Randy Savage appeared as a professional wrestler Bonesaw McGraw. Stan Lee, of course, had his traditional cameo. Elizabeth Banks, very, very early in her career, Played Betty Brandt at the Daily Bugle. And I believe his name is Michael Papajohn. Played the carjacker, who, of course, if you've read comics, was the guy that Spider-Man did not stop, who escaped and eventually ultimately killed his uncle. The most noteworthy bit part in this film, however, is absolutely Bruce Campbell as the wrestling announcer. And I'll explain that one here in a little bit as well. The first Spider-Man movie became the first film to garner $100 million in an opening weekend. That's not the first superhero movie to do so. Not the first summer blockbuster movie to do so. That's the first movie, period, to do so. It was the third highest grossing film of 2002. And at the time, at that time, in 2002, it was the highest grossing superhero film and the sixth highest grossing film of all time. With a gross of less than a billion dollars, you can imagine that it has been kicked quite a ways down the list by this point. It got a lot of positive reviews, and it was credited with redefining the modern superhero genre, and indeed, the summer blockbuster. Spider-Man 2 had the same cast, but also had a few new ones, notably Alfred Molina as Dr. Octavius. Uh, it was released June 30th, 2004, on a budget of $200 million, and pulled in just shy of $800 million to the box office. It pulled $789 million in. Now, Alfred Molina, who played Doc Ock, of course, was in Indiana Jones, Raiders of the Lost Ark, but he's also in one of my personal favorite movies, Boogie Nights, and he was in Frida, which is a biopic about the artist Frida Kahlo. He is also returning for No Way Home. If you have seen the trailer for No Way Home, he was the big reveal at the end of it. Uh, Joey Diaz appeared as a passenger on a train, as did Phil Lamar. Elizabeth Banks, of course, returned as Betty Brant. Bruce Campbell was back once again, this time as a rude usher at a play. It also was the third highest grossing film of the year, and it actually won an Academy Award for Best Visual Effects. This movie was a massive critical success. It is was considered to be one of the best and most influential superhero movies of all time. Very few people had anything negative to say. For a very, very long time, this movie was my favorite superhero movie. 
I'm talking to like 2018, 2019. This was my favorite superhero movie. Uh, one actor that appears in Spider-Man 2, that starts in Spider-Man 2, is Dylan Baker as Dr. Kirk Connors. If you are a fan of Spider-Man, you will recognize Kirk Connors as the Lizard. He does not become the Lizard in this movie. Spider-Man 3 was released May 4th, 2007, made on a budget of between $258 million and $350 million. That's a pretty wide margin for error there. And its box office, it pulled in $894 million, which actually made it the highest grossing Spider-Man film until Far From Home came out. Once again, majority of the same cast, although this time around you had Thomas Hayden Church as Sandman. And Thomas Hayden Church was in Tombstone, George of the Jungle, Sideways, Idiocracy. First place I ever saw him on was Wings. Loved that show. Uh, Eddie Brock, a.k.a. Venom, was in this, played by Topher Grace. Topher Grace, probably best known for that 70s show. I, I Actually, you can probably go ahead and do away with the whole probably is best known for doing that 70s show. However, he has had some movie premier, uh, movie roles, I'm sorry, including Traffic and Predators. And lastly, Bryce Dallas Howard played Gwen Stacy. Gwen Stacy, if you are familiar with the comics, you know how integral she is to the development of Peter Parker and Spider-Man. Bryce Dallas Howard was in The Village, Lady in the Water, uh, and in the Jurassic World series. Stan Lee again had a cameo in this one. Uh, James Cromwell played uh, Lieutenant Stacy, or Captain Stacy, I'm sorry, uh, Gwen Stacy's father, member of the police department. Now, James Cromwell is probably best known for his role as the farmer in Babe. Uh, Bruce Campbell, for the third time, returned, this time as a rude waiter, Mater D. Dylan Baker also came back as uh, Dr. Kirk Connors, but once again did not become the Lizard. Yeah. Also, you briefly get to see uh, Joe Manganiello reprise his role as Flash, but given the angle and where they are, because it's a college scene where he basically shoots a spitball at Peter Parker, it's a blink and you miss it or don't look quick enough and you're not going to recognize him. So I, I barely consider that a cameo. Uh, it was, once again, the third highest grossing film of the year it came out, 2007. I'm going to do a future episode on this particular movie because a lot went into it, both negative and positive. Uh, unlike the first two movies, this one got some mixed reviews and ultimately ended up, you know... I'm not going to say it put the kibosh on the franchise going forward, but with the less critical success and everything and a lot of the issues that plagued this movie, it ultimately forced Sam Raimi to decide not to continue with the franchise. So that's the basic cast. The director for all three is Sam Raimi. You know, what they put into it box office-wise... This would not be a review without an honest review. So let's start with Spider-Man 1. Full disclosure. The first time I ever saw Spider-Man 1. Mom, if you hear this, I'm sorry. I was high as a kite. I was soaring above the clouds the first time I saw this movie. And in my 13-year-old stoned mind, this movie was the greatest movie I had ever seen. Watching it again a little bit a little bit later when it was out on VHS because we rented it from Blockbuster Video. I came down off of it a little bit because 
I was not um, herbally enhanced for it. I still liked it a lot. Uh, watching it now as an adult, I've got problems with it. Um, I don't care for Tobey Maguire's line delivery. Spider-Man predicates himself on a lot of self-deprecating humor. A lot of sarcasm, a lot of like very clear, like, oh, he's, just, he's clearly not telling the truth there. Like, you know, there are two moments I can think of to point this out. When he's talking to Mary Jane out by the trash, and she says, you know, you're taller than you look. He goes, I hunch. She says, don't. The way he says, I hunch, he sounds like he's being serious. In the comics, or if you were to take an animated version of that, it would have been him just going, oh, well, you know, I hunch. That kind of thing. Further down the road, when you get to the uh, Thanksgiving dinner, when he says he had to beat an old lady with a stick in order to get the, that can of yams. He delivers it completely straight, like he had to beat an old lady with a stick to get that can of yams. He and MJ have almost no chemistry whatsoever because Kirsten Dunst and Tobey Maguire, I think they share a combined nine minutes of screen time in this entire movie. Maybe. She's dating his best friend, although she's clearly showing interest in him by the end of it. She kisses Spider-Man. I, 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 can, I can go on and on and on about the minor issues I have with the first one, but by and large, the first one I can still watch to this day, and I'm, I'm more or less okay with it. It's not without problems. Um, some cool little tidbits are the fact that when he catches everything on the lunch tray, that was not done with computers. He actively did that. Apparently it took 127 takes, which I, I know. <laughs> no. Um, as a lifelong fan of Spider-Man, I did not care for the organic web shooters. I know they were trying to be like a more, oh, this is maybe what would actually happen. Like, I just, I just didn't care for that particular aspect. Um, as a lifelong professional wrestling fan, I still, to this day, get a kick out of the whole thing with Bonesaw McGraw. Willem Dafoe as the Green Goblin, I don't have any complaints about him. Because while Green Goblin would be a little bit more sinister and a little less goofy at times in the comics, considering the tone the movie was going for, it was fine. It was great. I did not like them co-opting the death of Gwen Stacy for a hammy moment with MJ and a bus full of, or not a bus, like a, a dolly thing full of children that he drops. The night that Gwen Stacy died was so integral to Peter Parker and Spider-Man as a whole that to just do it as a throwaway moment like that is a massive, massive disservice of the comics. That is probably my biggest problem with this movie. Um, I do like that you see that Jameson does have some, not necessarily integrity, but he's not completely heartless. He's he's picked up by the neck and asked, you know, wh who sends in the pictures of Spider-Man? And he says he doesn't know. He's willing to die to protect a cameraman, a guy taking pictures who's supposed to be 19 or 20 years old. Which, side note, 30-year-old Tobey Maguire playing a high school senior doesn't look good. But this movie also kind of suffered a little bit with coming out so close after the September 11 attacks, a lot of promotional material involved the two towers. And that, of course, they, they cut it. Like the, 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 There's an old trailer you can find 
where you'll see a helicopter that's strung between the World Trade Center towers. That was almost certainly supposed to be in the movie during his big reveal instead of just getting a little thing where papers are rolling by and you see him pull on his mask. But, again, not to go too much further, I still more or less don't have any complaints about the movie as far as just enjoyment. Like, I get entertained by it. As a pure Spider-Man fan, it's crap. But as a movie fan, I enjoy it quite a bit. Spider-Man 2? Again, I, when I say earlier that I, for a long time, considered this my favorite superhero film, I mean it. I still have absolutely no problems with that movie. I feel like... They got everything firing on all cylinders for this. Granted, MJ and Peter's chemistry is still not great in this film because they still don't share a whole lot of moments together as far as just them two acting rather than just being seen together. Um, MJ is kind of a bit of a hoe when you think about the fact that she has kissed Peter, she has a thing for Spider-Man, and she's dating Jameson's son. Alfred Molina was almost a perfect Doc Ock. Like, I have no complaints about that. He did very, very well with that. The effects on his arms still hold up extremely, extremely well. Um, I like that we got to see Dr. Connors in this movie. Because it, as, as a kid, watching this, knowing who Dr. Connors was, I got excited because I'm like, okay, well, he didn't become the lizard this one. Maybe we're going to get the lizard in the next movie. Um, there's some unintentionally funny things looking at it as an adult with different eyes, like, uh, Harry Osborn telling Doc Ock not to hurt Peter, and he decides to throw a Volvo through the building. What if Peter wasn't Spider-Man? Like, he would have just killed, he'd, he'd have killed the source that he was supposed to go after. Um, yeah, no, that, it wouldn't have worked out too well. And while I like the big reveal to Harry that Peter is Spider-Man, in the context of the first movie and the second movie, it works extremely well. Like, as a one-two punch, this is probably the best you're going to do. If you were to watch Spider-Man and Spider-Man 2, you could probably ignore Spider-Man 3. But um, the big issue towards the end with the wedding. First of all, I love the fact that his landlord's name is Ditkovich, which is a nod to Steve Ditko. I love that. Love that. Um, <laughs> I don't know if any of you listening have ever seen The Graduate with Dustin Hoffman. At the end of The Graduate, he runs away with a bride, who is not his bride. They get on a bus, and they're sitting there smiling and laughing. And as the camera slowly moves in on them... You see the laughter kind of slowly die out a little bit and their smiles are kind of starting to slowly disappear. And it's because they realize, the realization of what have we done and what do we do next has sunk in. You get that with these two. Um, they have had very little interaction with the two of them to show that the two of them would be a healthy, normal couple in any way, shape, or form. The fact that she has cheated on multiple men in this, at this point, it's kind of, these are red flags that... Peter's unwilling to recognize, which if you've ever been in love with someone who you don't get to be with, you will ignore those signs. It takes maturity and understanding that only comes with age and experience to recognize those red flags and to walk away from them. And they just, they didn't have that in them. 
Um, the delivery of Go Get Him Tiger, like that's that's cool. That's right out of the comics. Him swinging away on the webs, and then you see in her face, like she goes from smiling about telling him to go get it to like a little bit of concern, a little bit of worry, like, okay, what what do we do now? Um, you kind of feel a little bit for her fiance that she leaves at the altar. You kind of honestly you kind of feel for Jameson in a comedic way because of the sheer amount of money that they probably spent on that wedding. And I think the only other thing that is of any kind of importance is when he tells Aunt May that in a roundabout way he's responsible for Uncle Ben's death. And when she gives him the whole, I believe there's a hero in all of us, that little speech when she's packing up everything to leave because she's decided to leave the house and Peter's no longer Spider-Man because he's been losing his powers because his powers are tied to his emotional well-being, whatever the case may be. Um, you almost get the sense that she's telling him without telling him, I know you're Spider-Man. As a woman who had raised him, there's no way that she wouldn't have known. Especially with him saving her at one point from Doc Ock. I mean, when you're around somebody and have been around them their entire life, you recognize little things about their stature, their their voice. Even if they're disguising their voice, there's there's tells. Like it really felt like she was kind of telling him that you know I, I know you're Spider Man, and you have to do what you have to do, kind of thing. And that was perfect. The video game was amazing. I hate to jump straight from the movie to the video game, but I don't have anything really negative to say about the movie other than that. But the video game was absolutely fantastic. This was the first open-world Spider-Man game where you would literally go around the entire city of New York. It had a couple of other things added in that weren't in the first movie, just or the second movie, just like the first game had said that wasn't in the first movie, namely the Vulture. And you can actually see Vulture's feathers up on the building that you had fought him on in Spider-Man 1. Um, Bruce Campbell narrates it. It's fantastic. It's got a lovely thing with Black Cat, which made me think we were getting Black Cat when we got the next movie. But that was Spider-Man 2. Greatly enjoyed that. Next we come to Spider-Man 3. I'm not going to rag on Emo Parker. Been done to death. I'm not going to rag on the dancing. It's been done to death. This movie does one thing right, and that is essentially the relationship between Peter and Mary Jane. This is the first time in the entire trilogy that you sense any kind of thing from them where it's legitimately, they're facing couple problems. They're having issues. Thomas Hayden Church as the Sandman, right next to that, best thing in this movie. I am sincerely hoping he is in Far From Home, as in, or uh, not Far From Home, No Way Home, as it does appear to be Sandman in one of the trailers. And if it is him and it is Thomas Hayden Church, more power to it. That was, he, flawless. Absolutely flawless. I hated how they did Venom in this movie. And Black Suit Spider-Man. Hated it. There was no explanation with the meteor. No explaining anything with the symbiote. Nothing whatsoever. Topher Grace was horribly miscast as Eddie Brock. And I get what they were trying to go with that. They were kind of like trying to go with he's like a mirror of what Parker is, just the opposite traits of him. 
So I, I get what they were trying to go with there, but that's not Eddie Brock. Tom Hardy is not quite Eddie Brock either, but he hits it way better because he approaches the whole symbiote thing from an addict standpoint, which works because Tom Hardy has been an addict before. He was able to draw upon his real-life experience. When I saw this movie in theaters, and he's taking pictures, and Spider-Man webs his camera out of his hand and shatters it on the floor and then drops down in the sewer to go looking after Sandman, and Topher Grace's Eddie Brock goes, What the hell? Everybody in that theater laughed. It's not supposed to be a funny moment, but they laughed because they thought of Eric Foreman from that 70s show who frequently would go, what the hell? He was terribly, 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 terribly miscast as Venom. And like I said, a future episode, I will go way more into detail on this, but Venom was put in this movie because Sam Raimi's hand was forced by Avi Arad in the studio to sell more toys. That is purely why Venom was installed in this film. Very unnecessarily so. Kurt Connors was once again in this movie. The plan apparently was to have the lizard in this movie. The studio was concerned about having a third straight sympathetic scientist villain character. I said that in air quotes. And wanted to go with something different. So many of Spider-Man's villains are scientists in some way, shape, or form. So many of them. The ones that are not are either directly connected to organized crime or they're people who have mechanical skills like the Shocker or people that have been enhanced by other, by other means like Rhino. Mor Morbius is a scientist. Craven the Hunter is a scientist, essentially. There are so many in there that to say we don't want another sympathetic scientist character, you are denying something that is inherently Spider-Man. You know, the, the movie just, it doesn't hold up well at all. It's one of those things where you, you have a trilogy of movies where the first movie is good and sets up something. The second movie loads the plate with one swing. Big time. Everybody's ready to go. Third movie comes around. Bottom of the ninth. Two outs. Bases are loaded. You're down by four. And Spider-Man 3 completely whiffs. Completely. I get enjoyment out of it purely on a perverse level of enjoying just how bad it is as a Spider-Man movie. That being said, just from a pure movie standpoint of it being just a movie, if you take Spider-Man out of it, if you put any other superhero that was made for this movie and put it in there instead, it's not that bad. So I don't as much as I dislike that movie, I can't honestly say that it is a overall 100% bad movie all the way through and through. Because it's not. As a Spider-Man movie, it is. As a regular movie, it's not without its charm. Um, we will probably never get a Spider-Man movie with a musical number midway through ever again. I, I could talk for days about this movie and one day I very well might have a round table type discussion of it and bring in Spider-Man fans from different franchises here because I have said from pretty much the moment we first saw Spider-Man Homecoming 
I said, Tobey Maguire was a better Peter Parker than he was a Spider-Man. Andrew Garfield was a far better Spider-Man than he was a Peter Parker. Tom Holland hits it all on the head in one cohesive note. Uh, Toby may have had moments where he was better as Peter than Tom Holland does, just like Garfield may have had moments where he was better as Spider-Man than Tom Holland. But Tom Holland puts it all together the best. Um, yeah, like I said, as far as a movie trilogy goes, you really don't need to see Part 3 to get everything you want to get out of this movie, out of this franchise. I'm looking forward to seeing what they're going to do with No Way Home because... Heavy, heavy rumor and innuendo. While people have trying their best not to confirm and deny this, everybody is going to be going into that theater with the expectation of seeing Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield's Spider-Man along with Tom Holland. It will be nice to see it because I will be genuinely cons uh, looking forward to how they're all going to interact with one another. But, yeah. So, this is a rerun review. If you like Spider-Man, you probably liked the first movie, and you almost definitely liked the second movie, while you should have probably had problems with the third movie. I think the reason why Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man movies, and Sam Raimi's Spider-Man movies, rather, are so still highly held by the fan base is largely nostalgia-driven. Which I can't say anything necessarily about that, because I've got movies that I enjoy for nostalgic purposes. Joe's Apartment is a, is a movie that I greatly enjoy for a nostalgic reason. Watching that movie for the first time in 15 years when I got it a few years ago, it is horrifyingly bad. But from a nostalgic standpoint, I have fond memories of it. People feel the same way about Spider-Man. So, yeah. Like I said, that's it for the Rewind Review. Uh, I'm not terribly great at reviews just yet, but I think the more of these I do, the better they will get. I'm not a critic. In any way, shape, or form, I'm not a film critic. Do not take my word as gospel in any way, shape, or form. But I'll get better at it as I go. So, the next episode of Kid Kong at the Movies, like I said several times now, it's going to be kind of an experimental thing. Um, I'm going to be talking about a movie that was never released, that only a very small handful of people have seen, due to the subject matter of the movie and when it was made. We will be talking this coming Sunday, the 26th, I believe, about The Day the Clown Cried, starring Jerry Lee Lewis, as a clown in a concentration camp, I believe, Auschwitz, in Nazi Germany. I'm looking forward to that because this is a movie that I have known about for years, and with the possibility of it being release for viewing in some capacity by 2024 i will be seeing it so i do look forward to it after that we'll get back to uh regularly themed kid kong at the movies um more than likely my next movie i will be doing is probably going to be from the 90s and it's going to be a movie that a lot of people don't necessarily like and i'm one of them not going to give you any more on that just yet. You're going to have to wait until after the day the clown cried. So, that all being said, I am Kid Kong. I will see you at the movies.